Hey friends, I'm Stuart Sutherland, co-founder of Heritage Missional Community. We are a growing network of microchurches centered around a coffee house and coffee roasting business in Shasta Lake, California. If you've ever thought there has to be more to this journey of following Jesus, then this is the right place for you. Thanks for joining me in a casual conversation about reclaiming authentic discipleship. Fill up your coffee cup, settle in, and here we go. Hello, and welcome to episode seven of the origin story for Heritage. This one is called The Honeymoon. And if you remember in our last episode, episode six, I was talking through the 14 months of construction, how God miraculously showed up time after time and how incredible that was. It was this experiencing the provision of the Lord just in time, just what we needed. And it was an exciting time. It was a time of momentum. And we couldn't wait to be finished with all of the construction, to complete all of the work so that we could actually open the doors, so we could actually engage with the community that we were so excited to serve. And this is where the honeymoon phase comes for us. And I just kind of want to stop on, you know, I think we can talk about a honeymoon as being something uh, sarcastic. We can say, oh yeah, the honeymoon phase, wait until that's over, and and say it almost in a, in a pointed statement where it's like, yeah, you're feeling this way, it's idealistic, it's, it's emotional, but wait until some time passes and it won't be as good as you think. I really look at this time in our story as a honeymoon in a, in a really great benefit in creating a lot of encouragement for us because the reality was we had worked um, really hard in the remodel process and fundraising and just vision casting. And that rhythm was really intense. It would get really hard. We'd work really hard and then we'd pause for a minute and pray and wait on the Lord. He'd provide and then we'd work really hard again. And so there was this stop and go kind of a rhythm. And if you remember, I shared in the last episode of this vision, somebody had a, a prophetic um, picture for us that was, we had just finished a sprint, but now we were, we were waiting. We were getting ready to run a marathon. We were at the starting line of a marathon. And that was so true because what we were engaging at this point was a steady stream of hard work. And it, and of course we needed to be excited to do this. The honeymoon was like the, the, when I, I guess use that phrase or that word, it was because it required that excitement. It required that that faith that good things were going to happen. And to be honest with you, great things were happening. And so our opening, grand opening date was really easy to remember, 11, 12, 13. And so on November 12, 2013, we were open to the city of Shasta Lake. We had a ribbon cutting. We even had a guy come up off the street who was starting his um, drone business, who had a drone with a video camera on it. And so he shot the um, whole ribbon cutting from, you know, 50 feet in the air. And we just had a really good time. It was exciting. And our first team... There were three of us, three baristas, um, Sarah, 
myself and a, and a guy named Brett, Brett, who is actually our neighbor, this really incredible guy who is super just influential. Everyone he talked to, he could get excited about stuff. And the three of us were super excited to work together and to, to start. And the hours, you're like, okay, we're opening a coffee shop. There's three of us. How many hours are we going to work, you know, to get things going? And we thought more is better, <laughs> right? More is better. So Tuesday through Saturday, that was our work week. And we started at 6 a.m. We opened at 6 a.m. and we closed at 6 p.m. Now, I don't know that that was the best idea, but man, we were coming out running. We were coming out with a plan of like, we're going to, we're going to, cast out our hours broad and we want to connect with as many people as we possibly can. And so we worked crazy shifts, the three of us, and all three of us worked a day shift. So I think it was Sarah that opened. I worked a mid shift, Brett worked closing shift. And then when I wasn't on shift, I would be roasting coffee because, well, you know, why just do, um, you know, why just have serve serve coffee or, or be a barista when you can also roast coffee. So we were, in a lot of ways, kind of starting with two businesses, and it was a ton of work. Sarah recalls talking about when we were, um, a cold kind of went around between the three of us, and um, Sarah would, you know, take time off her shift and go upstairs in the, in the coffee house and take a nap. And then it was like, okay, back to work. It was relentless. And so we started just trying to continue to build momentum. And then on top of it all, in the evenings, we would host a small group and have small group meetings in the evenings. And it was, it was a ton. At this point, we, were, we still had our house in Redding. We hadn't moved to Shasta Lake yet. And so we would do this commute. It was probably about 13 miles. But when you do it every day and you work the hours that we worked, it seemed like an eternity um, just those, you know, 15 minutes to make it from house to the coffee house. And um, I just, I remember the strain it had of just like, okay, you know, you forget something at the house, we'd have to drive back to the house. And pretty soon, you know, 40 minutes of your time is gone. And it just, it felt like um, everything felt exciting, but it also felt really difficult. Um, I remember we had a, um, we, we were using Square, which is a point of sale system, but on Square, we could actually use our smartphones to check in on and see how sales were doing. And we were actually using that as a way to check in on Brett. Sometimes Sarah and I were at home with the girls getting ready for the day. And um, when Brett was on a shift on his own, we would just kind of keep an eye on him because sometimes we would get these bursts of people who come in the door where you couldn't even make a phone call to say help. And I remember one day Sarah was looking at, um, at her phone going, oh my gosh, there's one sale, there's another sale, there's another sale. And pretty soon we were getting um, all of this information of like, Brett's getting swamped, we've got to get up there. And we'd have to rush up to the coffee house and you know, get behind the bar and jump right in and, and help. And so it seemed like this um, really kind of organized chaos but we were having a blast. We would meet people. We were learning names. We were hearing stories. And um, something became really apparent in that first several months, and that was we needed help. Uh, it's pretty exciting to open up a new business. It's pretty exciting to, you know, for the vision of this really being a ministry first. 
But um, the practical things were starting to catch up with us. We realized that between the three of us, this wasn't going to be something we could sustain. And so we started looking for people to bring on as, as baristas, but also as, as ministers, as, as people who were kingdom-minded and looking for ways to serve the, the folks in Shasta Lake. And so where do we go? Well, we look back at Risen King, our friends at Risen King. This point, At this time, we were still very much a part of the Risen King community. Uh, we were, we'd transitioned out of leading the Oasis Cafe, which was the coffee, coffee house of Risen King. But we, we definitely had a huge hand in just a lot of the training and things that were happening with the volunteers there. And the, the cool thing was is that group of people kind of became... The, that group of volunteers at Risen King were, were kind of like people we were able to take through some training, through some paces to see if they could actually do well at being a barista. And as it turns out, they were, some of them were. And so we were able to invite them to be part of the team at Heritage. So we had kind of this uh, amazing uh, qualifying um, place at Risen King in the Oasis Coffee, Cafe, which served Risen King really well, but also created a pool for us to more or less pillage some people <laughs> from Risen King to, to help us keep moving forward. When I think about this time, it was like idealistic. You know, it was like we were, we were so idealistic. We came into this with so much vision and so much of that vision came from the Lord. But I feel like when the Lord gives us vision, we also we'll put our own kind of spin on it. We'll put our own expectations on what the Lord's inviting us into. And I think part of that's fair. I think it's good to do, but other part of it is you still have to be open. And I think when I say you have to be open, you have to be open to the reality that there's a lot of unknown out there. There's a lot of things that you don't expect. And um, if I were to share with you some of the things that um, maybe we came across that we thought, no, that we didn't think of, that that was way beyond our, our wildest dreams or imagination. There's one story that really stands out where um, this at this point we had a few more people on our team and we had a lady come in off the street into the coffee house towards the end, end of the day and everything was great until we realized something very important. She wasn't wearing pants. So a lady comes in not wearing pants and, um, you know, what do you do? You know, hey, you know, it says no shoes, no shirt, no service. You know those signs? Well, they don't talk about pants. Pants aren't on there, but that's okay. Um, so what's interesting was we had another customer who was a regular, and that regular customer would, um, they would, they would come in like twice a day. And so... His name was Matt. Matt was coming in on his, uh, you know, his second trip for the day into the coffee house. And as it turns out, his trunk was, the trunk of his vehicle was full of some clothes that he was getting ready to donate. And so he sees this woman with no pants on and he brilliantly comes up with this plan to go back to his car and get a pair of pants out of his trunk because he had some of his wife's clothes there that they were donating. And so, you know, the problem sort of took care of itself. But when we debrief that whole experience, it's like, how do you prepare for something like that? How do you, you know, what do you do when somebody walks in with no pants on? Um, we also had a, another story where uh, one of our homeless friends, he wasn't 
known to us at this point. We hadn't met him, but this was his introduction. Um, a homeless friend, his name was Daniel. Um, but Daniel came in. What was very distinguishing about his outfit was he was wearing a Ninja Turtle mask. And so Daniel comes into the coffee house wearing a Ninja Turtle mask and says, I'm going to kill all of you. <laughs> what do you do with that? Um, he obviously wasn't that threatening. He wasn't wearing any kind of, you know, he didn't have any weapons on his person, but it just was, okay, you know, what do you mean? And, and we, at that point, started a conversation with him, and he became a regular. He became a guy that, um, after we explained some things to him, said, you know, it's good that you come in. It's not good that you come in telling people that you're going to kill them. And after he figured out, you know, he could do that, he was fine. He was, he was great. He'd come in and we had this thing called love in a cup, which was an opportunity to, um, serve people who didn't have money for coffee, but, um, could get a free coffee. And so other customers could pay into that pot and just basically give money towards free drinks. And we were able to hand those out to Daniel. One of the other stories that comes to mind is we had a person park across the street. They were going to the local grocery store and the way they park, um, the way everywhere is in the city of Shasta Lake, it's on a hill. And so he was parked uphill from our coffee house, and he goes into the store to get whatever he needed to get at the store. What made this special was the fact that his parking brake was not on on his car, and so his car starts to coast downhill directly towards our building. None of us saw this except for one of our customers, and this gal goes, oh my gosh, runs out the front door of the building. At this point, we're trying to figure out what is she, what's going on. And she runs into the street. She jumps into the driver's seat of the unmanned vehicle rolling towards our building. She puts on the parking brake and gets back into the building. Goes, did you guys see that? <laughs> we're like, yeah, that, build, that car was like headed straight for us. Like, you know, we all kind of clapped and applauded her. Thank you for rescuing us from this vehicle that was going to crash into us. And what was what was fun was you know we were we were we were all kind of talking about the experience and 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 somebody kind of shushed us and we and we looked back at the grocery store and the the guy had bought his groceries and he'd come back out but at this point he discovered that his car wasn't where he left it and so we had to go outside and flag him down to show him that his car had traveled several hundred yards uh, across the street. And he was a little bit confused. He was a little bit upset. He thought somebody was playing a prank on him. But after we explained the fact that he, uh, well, he forgot to put his e-brake on, everything was okay. Um, we've had other strange things where people drive right through the middle of our property. Um, we have a kind of an orchard area, and somebody thought it would be fun to do some off-roading. And um, it's just been one thing after other, another. It was like when we think about expectations, when we think about, wow, we're we're going to help the city. We're going we're gonna to do good things. You don't really expect all the strange and, and, and odd things to take place. And those were happening too. And nothing bad, nothing tragic, but just really out of the box, really extraordinary, so to speak. One of the things that we uh, really wanted to do was continue to bring people in to make Heritage a place to enjoy not just coffee, but community and we thought, what better way to do that than to have some live music? And um, 
One of my favorite stories around our live music scene was every time we had a live music event, we had another homeless uh, friend. His name was Tim. Tim would come out of the woodwork. We don't know where he came from. We don't know where he would disappear to, but we only saw him when we had live music. And Tim was this very um, inebriated. He was drunk all the time. I mean, he was definitely an alcoholic, very much like couldn't be without alcohol. He couldn't function without alcohol. But he kind of had this graphic, you know, voice that would come in and he would he would yell and shoot and holler and then he'd criticize the musicians. He'd say, ah, I can play better than that. And, you know, he'd show us with his fingers. He'd play air guitar and definitely outplay anybody I've ever seen on air guitar. But he, he, he would be a little belligerent. And so we would talk to him. Hey, Tim, can you not, you know, yell at the musicians when they're playing? And, you know, he, he got it. But what we discovered was he would take these trips to the bathroom and every time he'd go to the bathroom, he'd drink more. He, he had a bottle of vodka inside his jacket, his coat pocket. And so he'd take a swig of it, come back out. And so as the night wore on with, um, when the, with the live music, he would get more and more and more drunk, which he'd get more and more and more loud and belligerent. And this was supposed to be a family-friendly sort of thing. So we, we thought, okay, we've got to set some ground rules for you, Tim. And so the next time we had live music... Um, you know, lo and behold, Tim appears. And we said, hey, Tim, you know, I really, we really like having you here, but you can't yell at the people. And we, under, we know what you're doing. We know you're going into the bathroom. We know that you're drinking. And um, if you're going to be here, I'm just going to ask you not to drink so that you can not get louder, so that you can do a good job just enjoying the music. And so he looks at me and he goes, okay, you know, and hands me his, his bottle of vodka. And he's like, you can take care of this while I'm here, but I want it back. And I said, sure, you know, no problem. So I had the honor, and it really did, it felt like a huge honor to, to hold his vodka for him. We put it behind the bar, and Tim did great. And at the end of the night, you know, I was able to hit, hand him the paper bag with, the, with his vodka in it and, you know, just bless him. And from that night forward, Tim would refer to me as his friend, and he would tell his, you know, tell people about his friend, and um, and then he became friends with our Ninja Turtle friend <laughs> Daniel, and started bringing Daniel into to live music too. But what was really fun to watch was Tim would explain to Daniel, "These are this is what you can do, and this is what you can't do out here. Don't go yelling at the people playing the music. Don't get drunk." And so Tim kind of became the enforcer <laughs> and um, just a really sweet guy. And so we had these great introductions to people. We had these great opportunities to connect with our homeless friends. And it just felt so good to finally not just talk about doing things, but we were actually doing um, the things where we were connecting with people, we were connect. We were we were we were connecting with people that we wouldn't be able to connect with if we were just a, a traditional Sunday church, because we were in the middle of the city. We were um, operating as a business, as a third place that could connect with people in ways that you know we only dreamed of, and now it was happening. And so, after our first year, we we. We really felt like we accomplished a lot. We just, we opened, we started connecting with people. We were building a team. 
we were we were honored with um, the our local chamber of commerce giving us business of the year, and that was just a big deal all around. It was a big deal. You know, we we can make fun and say because we were the only business that opened up that year, but also because it it was something significant in the city, and they really appreciated it. They really felt like we were bringing hope into the community, and that was a real honor to you know, with as much as that that award might have felt like a shoe in, it also felt like a really important moment, and so we. Um, one of the other things that we did was um, coffee was getting pretty popular in our area. And so we were pretty connected with um, the coffee community. If it wasn't, we were helping in training or um, helping with equipment, or sometimes we would lease time on our coffee roaster to help other businesses launch in our area. Um, we also wanted to build community with the coffee shops. And so we had some conversations with owners of other businesses and communities and said, hey, what if we do a Thursday night barista throwdown? And this is something that happens in other places in the Northwest, but it, it's basically where baristas have a friendly competition and we'll pour latte art and then that gets judged and, you know, winner takes all sort of a thing. And so we started doing that and it went on a rotation between different coffee houses and we were working at building some really incredible um, specialty coffee community, which I would say is still pretty, pretty strong even now. And uh, while we're not currently doing throwdowns, we hope to see that continue into the future. Um, one of the other things that we see after our first year was um, our team just grew. Our, our barista team grew to a point where Sarah and I really felt like we had the opportunity to pursue more of our vision. And part of the vision that the Lord really gave to us was international vision, recognizing that coffee is an equatorial crop. It grows along the equator. And when we think about world missions, global missions, we see that the, the 1040 window, those two parallel lines of latitude are really great coffee growing regions. And so coffee becomes this amazing opportunity to give us creative access into, into countries that may not um, be open for missionaries or other things like that, but we can legitimately serve those communities by doing business and have opportunities for relationship. And so we saw that as like something that we wanted to, to pursue. And so by 2015, so after we were um, open, well, I'd say it would be like a year and a half, almost two years, we first um, had this great opportunity to move to the city of Shasta Lake. Um, that commute I was kind of talking about was really difficult. And we had our, our hearts set towards, we want to live in the community that we were first serving. And I know I'm kind of taking a roundabout way here. I started talking about international vision, but I feel like we also needed to feel planted. We also needed to feel like we were really part of this community first, and we wanted to do that well. And I felt really convicted of, we've got to be part of the community that we're serving. I don't want to be the outsider. I don't want to be the, you know, the missionary or the pastor that comes in and then, you know, fixes all the people and leaves. But I really wanted to be an integrated person in this community. For one, that helps us understand the community, but it also makes it authentic. It makes it genuine. 
And so um, we prayed a lot for the Lord to provide a house. And um, we looked, but really couldn't see anything, really couldn't afford anything because at this point we were on support and not even on full support yet, still raising um, support. And um, something happened. The Lord moved and we were, Sarah and I finally got away for some vacation time. And when we came back, I had this message and the message says, you know, call Gene. He wants to talk to you about buying his house. And I thought, well, that's really strange. You know, I, we, at this point, we're getting lots of messages from vendors and different people and we're kind of filtering things out. And that was one of the things where I'm like, that's, I don't know, that's weird. I'm going to filter that one out. So I didn't, I didn't actually uh, follow up. I just kind of crumbled that, that memo up and threw it away and moved on. Well, one of the nights that I was at the coffee house roasting, the phone rings, and um, I usually don't answer the phone. Um, something we'll let the team take care of. And I answered the phone, and on the phone was this guy named Gene. And Gene's like, hey, are you Stuart? And I said, yeah. He's like, did you look at my house? I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, I, I left a message. I left an address. I wanted you to look at my house. Will you look at my house? I really think you should buy my house. I'm like, I don't, um, how do, you know, I don't, <laughs> didn't even have words, you know. Uh, okay, I guess I can look at your house. He's like, I saw what you did in the coffee house. I'm really excited for what you're doing in the community. And based on what you, d- you did design-wise, you know, he's like, I'm an engineer. My brother's an architect, and this is our childhood home, and we kind of cut our teeth on doing some cool remodel stuff on that place. And, you know, I... I we really, I just think it's a fit for you. And as it turns out, he, he connected, he found heritage through some folks in our community who were, who were picking up an old bed. You know, it was a Craigslist deal. They, they went to, to Gene's childhood home while Gene was clearing out um, the house after his mom passed away. And so, um, yeah, basically this guy from our team started talking to Gene Gene was bummed out about how City of Shasta Lake was going downhill, and our friend was saying, well, actually, there's this place called Heritage, and they're pouring into the community, and Gene got really excited, so he came and visited, and he saw the space, he saw the design work, he started inquiring who did this, and then that's where he came up with this idea that Sarah and I should buy his house. Pretty wild, pretty crazy. So we go and we look at the house, And it's beautiful, it's awesome, and it's a ton of work. It had been not lived in for um, over a year, and things were overgrown, lots of work. It was built in the 1940s. But the girls loved it, Sarah loved it, and I'm like, all right, you know, kind of here we go. And so this story continues, it's really long. The short end of it is it took us another um, many months, almost a year, to negotiate with them, partly pastoring them through losing a part of their childhood. And we walked away for a second saying, we don't want to pressure you guys. They came back to us with a number and then we finally agreed and we were able to buy the house. So in 2015, we were able to, you know, move into city of Shasta Lake, no longer doing that commute. We had a team, we had a home, and then this international vision comes back into play. And in 2015, we had an an opportunity. After we moved in, we had an opportunity to go to Nicaragua and um, hang out with some missionaries there. And we ended up touring different coffee farms 
and we connected with um, Young Life, which had a huge camp campus coffee um, farm, as well as a uh, coffee processing plant. We also got to go to a place called Seborinica, which was the um, country's largest roaster, and they roasted coffee predominantly for the local people. And when we got there, they they came expecting us to train them because they heard these, you know, me and two other roasters from um, Northern California. We were we were there together on this kind of a mission exploration coffee thing, and they thought, oh, these hotshots from California here, they're going to train us on how to roast. And this was on a 90-kilo machine, 90 kilos of coffee for each batch. It was huge, industrial, crazy. We were totally out of our depth. But they honored us with saying, would you train us some? And, you know, we gave them what little knowledge we had. We cupped coffees with them, which is, you know, like with wine, you taste wine tasting. With coffee, you do cupping. So we tasted our coffee with them and and just had a really great time in Nicaragua. It was, it was just a, an opportunity to learn and to grow. And then the following year, we had another international opportunity to go to Mongolia and this trip was to connect with some missionaries who are with the Christian and Missionary Alliance. They were doing something very similar to us in, in using coffee as a vehicle to connect with the Mongolians. And they were in the capital city, Ulaanbaatar, and it was a, um, it's where the majority of the population of Mongolia lives now. And so crazy, the history of Mongolia, read about it sometime, but being one of being the largest empire in history and now basically reduced to a people group who basically in, inhabit the capital city. And so this is just a really great hotbed for um, they were becoming their own people and they were wanting to be more Western in the sense of coffee and not just being a tea drinking culture. And so um, these missionaries that we were partnering with were trying to bring the first coffee fest, kind of a coffee conference, to Mongolia. And so Sarah and I had the opportunity of being two of three special guests from the United States to uh, Mongolia's first coffee fest. And we had a great time with the missionaries. We did some training with them. We taught roasting. We taught some barista skills. And then we were, as guest speakers, got to speak to um, a, a huge crowd of people just talking about different brew methods, very practical coffee things, but we're an entry point for our missionary friends. And um, it was a really fun time. It was, it was a great, great experience for us just to see how coffee was just going everywhere and giving all sorts of opportunity to connect with people. And this is also the time where Sarah, I don't know if you remember this, but Sarah was designated Barista Queen of Mongolia. This happened when we were doing our training with our missionary friends. They had some local Mongolians that they were also, um, who were running the, the coffee shop in, um, in Mongolia. And, um, as Sarah started going through all of her training, I mean, Sarah's an incredible teacher and demands a lot of, she'll demand your attention and respect just because she's, she's that great of a teacher. And I mean, apparently that translates 
Um, it transcends culture because when she was in Mongolia, she got that same kind of respect. And so everybody kind of jokingly, but semi-seriously said, you know, Sarah is the barista queen of Mongolia. She's the one that's going to set us right and set us straight. So she really is, she's got those chops and, um, still to this day can, can teach you how to, how to make a mean cappuccino and make sure that your texture's right and your extractions are done well. And so really this whole season for us was exciting. It just was opportunity after opportunity. We were so excited. We um, even got a taste of some international travel and some really great um, honoring things that not just put us we not just we we didn't just land in city of Shasta Lake. We didn't just say this is kind of the beginning and the end of the ministry or the vision. But we were able to see even bigger things happen. And so when I when I look back at this time and say the honeymoon, it really was a sweet time. It was just a time to engage with culture. It was a time to learn names and stories. Um, we started getting regular customers in the coffee house. We started to network with people in the international community who are also using coffee for ministry, and we were stoked. And when I think about this time, it's kind of like that time in the story, you know, it's like the beginning of the, of the movie, the, the, the normal story line where everything seems really perfect. And, you know, in the back of your mind, you're like, man, this is too good to be true. Well... I wish I could say we were unique in this time and that, you know, it wasn't too good to be true. But the reality was some hard times for us were coming ahead. But until that time came, we were having a blast. And so next time I'm going to be sharing some of the struggles. And to be honest with you, it's, I don't look forward to sharing that part, but I also feel like we learned a ton. In, in the hardest of times, we learned a ton. And we look back at all the good times as well as times that weren't wasted, times that weren't just the exciting part before it got bad. But really, um, this was a foundational time for us where we were able to set priorities as far as our focus being, we're here in Shasta Lake, but we're also keeping an open hand to wherever the Lord would call us next. And so in the next episode, I'm going to share some of the challenges. I'm going I'm to share um, when things didn't go that well. But until then, I just want to say thanks for listening and see you next time. Thanks for joining in today, and I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Please be sure to subscribe and leave a comment if you enjoyed this episode. You can check out our ministry at heritagecoffeehouse.org. And remember, we all play a vital role in God's plan for redemption. So what's the Father saying to you? And what are you going to do about it?